0: Let's go.
1: welcome to spiritual psychology with Renee McKenna I'm a therapist and healer here in San Francisco and if you want real change on a soul level you've come to the right place do you introduce yourself in the beginning yeah of the show? so
0: welcome to scotch talks podcast this is your host scotch um with us today is a good friend of mine renee mckenna Hi, Scott. hey welcome
1: <laughs> happy to be here
0: yeah happy to have you <laughs> um i'm not sure what to talk about where to start um
1: well we were just talking about intentions right yes So, and I have a lot of areas of my life and I think that the easiest way to tie them all together is through this intention setting work that I did years ago through this book called The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. It's by Stephen Covey and um, it's one of the most powerful spiritual books that I know written in the guise of a business literature. Mm. It's really um, amazing. And one of the exercises in that book is to write a personal mission statement. And I've had the opportunity to start quite a few businesses, many of which have failed. And, um, <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and it's nice to start a mission, to have a mission statement in when you have an organization because mm-hmm. then you can kind of determine the actions that you're going to take and you can run them against the mission statement because the mission statement doesn't change. It's kind of like the core, like why, the intention, right? Mm-hmm. And so, Kobe suggests that you write a personal mission statement and which is like an intention. And so my mission statement that came out of that work was to use all of my gifts and talents for the benefit of the most people and myself. Actually, originally it wasn't and myself in the last few years. I've added myself into that, um, which feels really important. Can you just say that one more time? Using all of my gifts and talents for the benefit of the most people and myself.
0: Okay. And do you go into every single situation with that in mind? Do you bring that up?
1: I wish that I was conscious enough to think (laughs) about it all the time, although on a regular basis, I do think about it. And it has become kind of a working part of who I am as a person now. Mm -hmm. And, well, I mean, it, it fits with my personality because I'm a very extroverted, group, crowd kind of person. I'm mm. a service-oriented person, I love to do stuff for other people, um, I've, you know, the pathological side of that is that I'm a codependent and I can care more about caring for other people than I, I do for myself, mm. but you know, the, the healthy, I think, um, the higher resonance of that is that I can do a lot of good in the world. And so, and adding myself into the equation actually cancels out the codependent piece, the pathological piece, because if I'm involved, if it's just all about you, it's a way to escape myself. Mm. But if I include myself in the equation, then the equation tends to be more balanced yeah. is my experience.
0: Yeah, that.
1: So, I mean, I, you know me, I can just talk. So <laughs> how, um, how that play, how that has played out for me is, you know, I have had, I had, I like to call it the burden of potential and <laughs> right. And I, you know, I had a lot of different things that I was good at as a kid in school coming up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was good at art. I, um, was good at science I got the highest chemistry mark and as a senior in high school in my in my town which was a pretty big town Um, I'm really good with people I was in student government I was president of my senior class and and so there was a lot of variant ways I could go did I want to become someone in the medical community or in, in environmental science. Did I want to become a politician? Did I want to be an artist? I, I loved literature. I, I actually became an English major in college. So the hard thing for me, you know, my parents told me, you could be anything you want. But the hard thing was like, I had so many fucking things that I possibly could have done. I couldn't make up my mind.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. So after high school, I took a gap year and went and worked in a factory because I didn't know what to do. What? Yeah. I didn't know this. Yeah. So... Um, Which was really, it was a really instructive experience. It was a really instructive experience on a lot of levels because, so the company that I worked for was particular, it was a Jewish owned company, um, a conservative Jewish owned company, and the two men who had started the company had tattoos from the Holocaust on the arms. They escaped the camps oh my um, God. at the age of twenty and came to America and started a business. Wow! And most of the people who worked there were Jewish immigrants. It was kind of like the UN. It was very interesting. Yeah, all the people that worked in the office. Uh, I mean, eventually they all spoke English. They all spoke Yiddish, which was how they connected with each other at conservative, at the conservative temple and. Um, so there was people from Poland, and there was people from Germany, and there was people from... So they were from all over the world. And um, it was interesting because the, the, the production, all the people in the production department were from Puerto Rico, and all the people down in the shipping department were all from the Philippines. Oh, and wow. um, yeah, it was interesting. And I was the goyim that worked at front. I was the girl, the white girl, the non-Jewish girl, the goyim. Um, that worked, girl, he would call me, girl, call that man. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a really, it was a really, really interesting experience to work for, you know, they all kept kosher and we kept the Jewish holidays and, um, wow. yeah, it was a super dysfunctional family business, but, uh, <laughs> but I learned a lot about Judaism and a lot about, and a lot about that. I didn't want to work in a factory for $4 an hour for the rest of my life Four and it dollars motivated an hour. me to go. Yeah. When I got a raise, I went to 425. Whoa. Wow. Of <laughs> course, this was a long time ago. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 55 in a couple minutes. So this was in 1983, <laughs> way before you were born. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, um, yes, so we get off on that. I don't know how we get off on that, but, um, <laughs> So, we were talking, I know this is an art podcast, mm-hmm. at its essence, right? At its essence, yes. At its essence, it's about art. Oh, I was talking about all the different things I did in school. So, funny, we were just talking to somebody about this the other day. Part of the reason I didn't go to art school was because there were people that were better artists than me. Really. I mean, I, had, I was very lucky. I had this fabulous high school that I went to in Weymouth, Mass. And it was super progressive, and I get to take art I was an art major mm. and an English major. I got to take art um, every day from eighth grade to twelfth grade with a fabulous art teacher, and then uh, and I took two literature classes at least every day. It was it was a brilliant wow. arts education, and but um, you know my fragile ego at the time. Um, you know, there were kids that were, I quote, quote, unquote, like better artists than me. And so, I mean, I had a lot of things I could tell you about why I didn't want to go to art school. Oh, well, I don't want to make it a hobby and I you don't want to make it into a job. I might not like, it was crap. Really, I was afraid <laughs> that there was people better than me, which was really has, I think it's a problem for a lot of people. You know, yeah. we, we feel like we aren't good enough as we are. Yeah. And so, and, and really of essence, like that's what my intention, I think, points to for me And is that it's not about comparing myself to other people or the gifts and talents that I have. We all have gifts and talents. Everyone has gifts and talents. And finding what those are and being willing to bring the fullest expression of them into the world, I think is our work as a human. Mm -hmm. And you know, I mean, my work as a therapist um, and a psychologist and a spiritual teacher and a shaman and a healer and all the other things that I do is really to help remove the blocks that people have to their authentic self. Mm. and and all those gifts and talents that we have because really it's only in bringing those forward that we find the fulfillment and the happiness and the peace and the joy that we all seek and but you know I like Will Smith says God put everything good on the other side of fear Um, (laughs) and the fear is usually about fears of our own inadequacy Mm. in comparison to our idea of who we think other people are generally I think most people suffer from that um, I know. I still do. You know. I'm. I'm just finishing up my first book to hopefully be out in a month. It's going to be called Allies and Demons. In a month. It's my what? goal. It'll be out in a month on Amazon. Wow. Allies and Demons. You can find it at reneemcenna.com. And, and um, you know, I was. I've been reading. Some other, you know, psychology, spiritual literature, because it's um, the work I do is called spiritual psychology, and it's a blend of hypnotherapy and Buddhism and shamanism and the best I think of Western psychology. It's a really potent elixir for healing and transformation for me, and for the, hopefully for those I work for. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, I've, I, was, I was actually reading some stuff this morning and, and I still find myself like, oh, like this writing is so good. It's so clear and to the point and deep. And, and I feel that my own work, you know, is inadequate in comparison to that. And I'm working very closely with an editor. She holds my hand every day as we write because I just can't <laughs> do it by myself. I finally realized, which is fine. I can ask for help. And, uh, you know, and so we just had this talk this morning that, You know, I have a special thing that comes through me Mm -hmm. that comes through Renee Lavalle, McKenna, the age I am, the experience I've had, the the voice, you know, my Boston accent, my (laughs) fuck you attitude, whatever, (laughs) you know, um, and that that's what's supposed to come through me. Mm-hmm. and and I have to trust that that's my gift to the world and that that's good enough it, it isn't about comparing that I'm not as good as the pathwork of self transformation <coughs> or Stephen Covey or Scott Peck or you know whoever the other people that I admire their writing is it, it's gonna I have to have the courage to be myself in fact my intention recently is um, for myself it's more of a goal actually is I want to become fearless Fearless. I want to become fearless. I really do. I don't know how you become fearless, but I want to do it. I feel like, I
0: fear, I feel like fear is always there, but it's just cutting off that part of you that wants to make excuses, right? And then, like, another part just makes you do it or walks you or runs you through the fear.
1: Well, fear really, I think, is a boogeyman for the most part. I mean, especially, you know, when I turned 50, five years ago, I took a retreat in New Mexico, I went to the desert, I love the desert, and I I find the desert kind of like, there's there's an openness in the space, in being able to see for 40 miles and the sparseness of the landscape that just kind of clears away the details that get in the way of life and uh and what I felt really clearly two things I mean that that's when it became the first thing was it became very clear to me that I'm here to be myself Mm. I'm not here to be what you want me to be or what my mother wanted me to be or what society wants me to be like my job is to be me there's only one of me and I'm gonna die. And that was the second thing that happened was that at 50, I could really see the horizon line. Like, you know, at best I get another 50 and the last 10 or 15 of those are probably gonna be crap, right, <laughs> so <laughs> so I got maybe 35 and I have not done the things that I wanna do in this life. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of great things, but like I haven't done the thing that I feel like really pushed myself to do the thing, which is what, this book is the start of that. To really be willing to push myself to the edge to be willing to face my fears and outgrow them and what's the fear fear of failure fear of success fear of dying fear of getting my feelings hurt like whatever I've already failed I've already succeeded I've already had my feelings hurt I haven't died yet hopefully I only do that once but you know I've already lived through all that stuff what am I afraid of you know what am I afraid of I think now what's happened for me is that my biggest fear is that I'll get to the end of my life and give myself a thumbs down that mm. I'll, I'll be on my deathbed and have not done the thing mm-hmm. and be disappointed with myself and that really is my biggest fear that is a bigger fear than whether people like me or not or whether I get my feelings hurt or a bad rating on Amazon or whatever whatever happens um, but there's, a, but there continues to be a lot of growth to be able to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, was that
0: just when you were in Mexico? Like you had that realization or have you, cause since I've known you for this past year, like you've always just been Renee, like totally and completely yourself. Like, were you never not like that?
1: Uh, I think in the context that we know each other. No, I think in the context that we know each other which is personal growth work, and, and a lot of spiritual work, and uh-huh. um, and it's places of great vulnerability. No, I think I've always been, I think that's been my place, my core place of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I feel so grateful to have, for most of my life, had communities of people who are doing the same thing, who are trying to grow and be the best version of themselves they can be, and really deeply looking at their flaws and their fears and their frailties. and, and and trying to work through them Mm -hmm. um so so that's been modeled to me and now i know i'm a model for that just as part of a larger community so i I feel super grateful for that but in other contexts of my life so you know i use the book as an example (laughs) so i hired somebody um i spent well i'll just say how it happened you know i went on uh i went on a a trip traveling i was just thinking about it on the way here traveling is is a clear the deck place i mean never mind the desert Um, I'm actually planning a trip in a couple of months for the same reason. When I get out of my regular routine and I get into a new place, I'm there with fresh eyes. I'm totally in the moment. I know I might never come back here. It's Tuesday at one o'clock. Like, whoa, what happens in Belgium at Tuesday at one? Like I'm like on it. Right. (laughs) And, and when I come back to my regular life, like I feel like it brings up in some ways my my best version of myself yeah. super present super excited engaged with what's happening people places things uh-huh and then i get back into my routine life and all the things that don't support that become painfully obvious uh-huh like it feels if it feels like i have to like squish myself back down into the box of my life i have often had radical cha- made radical changes to my life after taking a big trip i've left relationships i've quit jobs i've moved Um, realizing that having had that experience for a week or two or three of my of my kind of optimal way of living I want to live that now Mm -hmm. and we get choices we can if you know if I'm unhappy I, I need to make some changes there's nobody else to blame for that so um so what happened when we got back from this trip we went to Europe I took my kids I have two kids and um and I took my kids we went to five countries in in 17 days it was an awesome trip and um and so I get back and I, I remember it was a day like today we're in San Francisco it's a beautiful clear day and, and we live near the ocean and I was out on my deck and I was looking at the ocean and my beautiful house and I have I have another house in the East Bay I have two houses two kids two dogs two trucks I get two of fucking everything and I'm, <laughs> and I'm miserable like I, mm. I felt this like almost suicidal feeling like I don't like my life and and I had, you know, the work I do is very visual, uses the active imagination a lot as a way. As a bridge between uh, the outer world and the inner world, between the world of spirit and the non-physical realities of our own truth, of our emotions, of, of greater consciousness, um, and bringing those into our own little brain, using for me it's very visual. Different people have different ways. So I often have images happen to me, and um, work a lot with archetypes and guides and teachers and angels and all kinds of different things. And um, and so. And so I was sitting there and I was on the phone with somebody like, why do I want to (laughs) die? Something's wrong here. What do I need to change? And this image of myself at the end of my life, this image of myself as an old person Mm. came like very clear. I can still feel it. She's over here. She's on the right. She's happy with me right now. She she was (laughs) like, girl, you can either do the thing and get a thumbs up or you cannot do the thing and get a thumbs down. And like, You know at the end of the day at the end when I'm on my deathbed I don't get a second chance to be Renee McKenna doing this and just to
0: be clear what is the thing
1: so the thing at that point was so they felt like um, two choices one was my profession and one was my personal life and there was um, definitely limitations happening in both I've been doing the therapy work that I do for a long time but you know I have a little home office I certainly am not using all my gifts and talents and the other was my personal life in my home in my marriage and so I was like do I write my book or do I leave my husband <laughs> and so I was like I'm gonna write the book first <laughs> subsequently I actually have left my husband but <laughs> there's an order of operations apparently and so so writing the book came first so I um, You know, I, it's an interactive universe, I believe in in higher good. And I believe that there are, uh, there's a whole realm of grace that's there to support our highest good. And so I started to talk about it. I started to do some research. I have a friend who works in publishing and I'll just say within two weeks, I had a writing support group and I had a ghostwriter. Mm. And I had a talk with him, because at that point, I, I knew I couldn't do it by myself. I had kind of been trying. I had like 25 starts of writing this book. I just couldn't do it by myself. And he said to me, um, okay, so we can probably do six months, six, six to eight months, And um, and this is how much I charge. And I had exactly that amount of money in my bank account. It was all my savings. Uh It was every penny of my savings, but I had exactly the amount. And so I was like, okay. (laughs) I'm not a huge signs and symbols person, but maybe I am. You know, I was like, all right. So I wrote the big fat check, and we spent eight months writing the book. And I got a 269-page transcript at the end that was technically publishable. And I hated it. I couldn't even read it. I couldn't even look at it. I read the first chapter and I was like, oh my God, I would never read this book. Did you
0: just think that that was maybe just you? No. Or did you run it by other people?
1: No, I didn't show anyone. <laughs> I said, if I don't love this book, I can't put it out. Mm. And and so I'm bringing this back to what the, what the question was. So in the process of writing that book, which is, it's basically the it was basically like the, the core text of it's the book I have now only the book the Allies and Demons is is uh, much more condensed and mm-hmm. I think um, I think it's gonna be shorter and more put it to the point but one of the things when you're writing and I think it happens all the time unconsciously when we're out is the idea of how am I presenting myself to mm. people right how am I presenting myself and in my work we talk a lot about having a mask A social mask a sexual mask a friendship mask a family mask like that we put on these different masks to be who we think other people want us to be Hmm. think who we or even our own idealized self-image of who we think we are who we think we want to be that may not be actually that connected with who what's true depending on how unconscious and how that's a bummer the further you are away from your authentic self the more of a bummer it is really but anyway the way the book was written, uh, we had, you know, I was a little bit up in the air about it. But the way the book was written was from this place of authority, like Renee Bakeda, therapist for 30 years, speaks to you from, you know. And I hate <laughs> that um, that idea. You know, there's a hierarchy. It's like. I'm well and you're sick or I'm the doctor and you're the patient and and that's crap like I'm a human I'm more fucked up than most people I know like I'm still (laughs) doing this work I get a lot of bags I'm still unpacking Um, I have a tremendous amount of experience and tremendous transformation and healing has happened for me so I I know that I am an example but um, but you know there was this question do I swear how do I dress like do I put on the white coat like they do on on the commercial for Excedrin PN and (laughs) pretend like I'm a doctor and tell you that this is my authoritative opinion people are very influenced by that stuff right Um, or do I wear my like heavy metal t-shirt and like (laughs) say the f-word like I was raised in Boston and and you know, I was thinking, oh, do I get this little mole taken off my face? Do I try to lose my accent? Like, do I try to become a more acceptable version of myself? Mm. That was the question. And and the way that book was written, all 269 pages of it were from a mask. Mm. And so, you know, I've spent the last year rewriting it in my own authentic voice. And so... So I will tell you that... that the writing of that book in that way did come from some experience, um, you know, stepping. I had an opportunity in January of 2017 to step out in a very public way. Um, you know, I, I was lead of Woman's March, San Francisco,
0: uh-huh.
1: and there was a lot of things that went down in that process. It was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had, and I'm so grateful to have been able to be a part of facilitating that amazing event that ended up being of course a worldwide event for like seven million people. Yeah. But, um, but there was also when you put yourself when as a privileged white woman putting myself out as the face of an event that stands for social justice. there was some really venomous attacks on me just as a figurehead uh-huh. um, that were v- quite terrifying and, and upsetting um, from different communities um, and demographics in the Bay Area who who have been disenfranchised and victimized and brutalized for centuries. And I was the person that they could shoot at. And mm-hmm. so, so there was this out of that experience uh, was the idea well, like, how do I, if I'm going to really step out in a public way, how do I do that in a safe way? How do I do that? How do I do that? Like, do I be an authority? Do I, like, what's the, so it felt almost like a political thing. And Mm. I mean, since, so it's been a lot of contemplation about that, about my my package, my brand, like, who am I going to be? And, um, you know, happy to report that, uh, the brand is just going to be me <laughs> 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 now, and 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 the, how I protect myself is to come from a place of truth and compassion.
0: How does a one go about finding their authentic self? So that's a big question. It's a
1: big question. I, I I have a lot of answers for that question. I mean, I think I think really it, the authentic self is always here, right here where we are, and. The, the easiest direct, fastest direct route is really just to sit quietly with yourself mm. Mm. and to observe what's happening. Um, I like, you know, you were asking me a little bit early about writing stuff down. Like I, I, I like to think about the chakra energy systems if people aren't familiar with that, so in, in Chinese medicine and in a lot of Eastern medicine, there's like different ideas of different chakras. So there's one at the top of our head, one between our eyebrows, one at our throat, our heart, one at our solar plexus, one just below our belly button and one at the base of our spine. And each of them has a slightly different um, personality or has, has a different, attribute holds different intentions in the world and, um, not just in our body, but our body, the, those parts of our body are all metaphors for different ways of being in the world. And so most of us spend most of our time in our head, Mm-hmm. right? Most of our time is spent in our head. And so, and that's a valid place, right? There's a val, <laughs> there is a lot and that's pretty much the place between your eyebrows, right? Like that's, there is a place, um, but to open up, spiritually like how do i feel spiritually what does that even mean to me i think it's about asking questions Mm. and then listening for the answer that comes from within us um you know my my throat is my voice um what do i have to say to myself to other people am i full of self-hatred and criticism and judgment and fear am i full of love and compassion and forgiveness and inspiration or wisdom Hmm. Um, what's happening in my heart like if I really bring my awareness down into my chest how am I feeling um, it's really about discovery like how do we find it is really about like finding our authentic self I think it's masked for most of us, most of us and to have that inquiry like how am I actually feeling in my heart I know I didn't have access to my heart for a really long time it was closed It just wasn't safe to be there like physically actually I did stuff in yoga to try to open it and Um, what's happening in our gut in our belly that's where a lot of people feel their anxieties their fears their guilt their shame Um, and you know you drop further down like below your belly button that's the area of creativity I mean you may not feel it but what is your inspiration what inspires you what what is your creative bent what what is the thing that you bring and make in the world and it doesn't have to be physical art Mm -hmm. some people their creativity is is uh, loving children some people their creativity is to facilitate safety in groups some people's creativity is growing plants um you know i mean there's or making food i mean those are kind of obviously creative i think but but maybe not maybe people don't think of those as art you know people might limit it just to two-dimensional thing that goes on the wall or a (laughs) three-dimensional thing that sits on a desk um, so, so I think that finding the authentic self comes from from continued inquiry into the self, and it's a really because I personally believe we are all connected with the divine, with this greater oneness, Atman, whatever you want to call it, um, life force. It's a verb, and we're all connected with it. And so, as we plumb deeper into ourself, it really is a bottomless pit I don't think it's a pit pit's bad um, it's a bottom it's a bottomless it's an endless it's an infinite adventure um, of who what is our authentic self and what's it tied to and what can come through that so it's about questions and if the answers to those questions are I don't know then you need to spend more time sitting because the answers the answers are there Mm. does that answer your question
0: Maybe, maybe I'm going to have to sit with that question. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah.
1: You want to talk about art?
0: I guess we'll talk about art. So I mean, yeah, well,
1: I like to tell my art story's funny. You know, I, um, <laughs> so I talked about, you know, high school, I didn't go to art school and, uh, and I, one of the things that I'm a really good copyist And again, I had this attitude of like other people's art is better than mine, Mm -hmm. but I like it when people say, Ooh, that's really good. I Mm. was most of my art was done with that in mind of Mm -hmm. getting your approval of you to tell me that it was good. And then that was some kind of affirmation of me as a person somehow. But so I really didn't do much art. I certainly didn't have my own voice as an artist. Um, and I took a couple art classes in college. And, you know, one really instructive moment, I might have already told you the story. Um, we were doing a realistic drawing. It was actually a complicated piece of machinery. We were all drawing it from different perspectives. And, and the teacher came up to me after, and he said, he looked at my drawing, and he said, it's technically very good, but it's not art. And I knew right then what he was talking about. I knew it. It was, mm. some people might think he was mean <laughs> I was kind of like mean teachers actually they tell the <laughs> truth and um, but I knew what he meant it was technically good but it, there was no heart connected with it there was no essence of me connected with it it was really done so that he would say that's really good mm. it wasn't me coming out on the paper and so it was, a, it was a pivotal moment for me as an artist and I didn't do art for a really long time long time. And even up to that point, most of the art that I had done, it would be for gifts for people. And I would mostly copy stuff that I liked. I would copy other people's artwork and give it as a, as a gift Mm -hmm. to someone. And I had these kids and we started to go to this kind of down and dirty preschool and they always put me on the art table with the two to four year olds. And It was so amazing, you know, and it was the kind of place where this wasn't about creating projects. They would just throw a bunch of like, like they would throw tin foil and glitter and glue and paint on the table. And then the kids could like do whatever they wanted with it. kind of a stuff. There was always just, they would throw different materials down and sometimes they'd have an idea, but the kids could make whatever they want. I was with all these kids just like totally psyched to like put glitter all over the left side of their (laughs) face and paint their hair and like make these complicated things that look like poo and then and then (laughs) they tell you well like this was a giraffe and he has a spaceship and then the shark ate his toes and then the dog came and you know and they had these whole like elaborate internal processes that was coming out in this external messes that the kids were making with these beautiful colors so all about process and so much fun and it opened up it opened up this creativity artistic part of me that I, you know i have no memory of it being open it probably was when i was very little but um my parents were pretty uptight so you know i anyway and i got this someone sent me a video i don't know who and i still show it to people all the time it's called prodigy of color it's about this girl, Aaliyah. Aliyah Oh, I should know her last name. I can't think of it. And um, it's a video of her when she was four, and she has artist parents there from Australia, and um, and she is a gifted artist. She's actually still. She's. I think she's twelve now. She's a quite quite well known artist. Oh wow. Yeah. She just. Anyway, it's about a fifteen minute video, and it changed my world. I watched this little girl like pour paint and drop stuff into the paint and dance around these huge canvases and and tell those stories like the preschool kids were doing but but the art was fabulous and wow. it was art she was making art like she wasn't it wasn't a good drawing it was art and i honest to god i went out that evening and i went in the backyard with a canvas and i started throwing paint and dropping stuff into it and I haven't done much with a paintbrush since then because I, my intention at that point was I needed to break my perfectionism and I needed to break this idea of doing something so that you would like it mm. and so that it could be more what, what it was that wanted to come through me. I, um, and it opened up this whole way to do art and... To go back to my original intention of using my gifts and talents for the benefit of the most people. So this preschool is a big preschool. It's one of the biggest co-op preschools in San Francisco. It's called Playmates. And it's out in the outer, outer sunset. And there are 90 families there. It's a big preschool and a big campus. And fabulous place, but it looked like crap. Uh, I mean, the building was awful. It needed painted. It was dirty. and. was um, the, yeah, the physical plant was a wreck, and the one thing I am good at is making things beautiful. So, you know, as I sat with the kids in this in this place that had so much heart and so little visual, <laughs> I thought, how can what can I do here? And I started to see murals on the walls, and so I asked them if I could paint. Can I paint this wall? And I made a proposal, and they said yes. And so, over the course of five years, I did make eight major art installations there. Wow. Including a giant. I mean, there's a mural there. That's about it's about 200 square feet. Wow. And and so <laughs> I started to do art in a public way to benefit other people. And no one. And it was I liked it too because it was kind of anonymous. It wasn't like being in art class, holding the thing, being like, do you like this? It was like yeah. no one had to know. <laughs> so that really also opened me up as an artist and also started my love of public art mm-hmm. and. Um, a lot of the art I do is pre-approved and a lot of the art I do is not. <laughs> so you know, I mean, you know I like to go out in the middle of the night and spray paint stuff. Yeah. Um, not in a destructive way. Often what I do is I spray paint over graffiti and try to make it beautiful. Hmm. So oh, have to me. So that's that's some of my art story. I mean, and from that, it gave me the courage to start. You know I was painting on these I was paint pouring which is super fun Um, I love to paint paint pours so so from these big murals that I did I bought I was painting on the side of buildings so I was using high gloss exterior paint which is incredibly durable and you can get in any color so Mm. and because I was painting primarily murals for kids I love bright colors anyway um, I had all these quarts of bright John, t- tell us about colors, huge, bright, bold colors in this exterior uh, acrylic latex, and so that's what I started to. Because I was overrun with the paint, um, that was what I would pour. So I literally like pour it out of the can, or I pour it into smaller. I bought a, I bought like two cases of ketchup bottles, and I poured all the paint in those, and I could squirt the paint. Oh wow! And and so that's really and then dropping i love collage painting like i have i started to collect all these beads and feathers and drop stuff into the paint to see what it does to make it more three-dimensional again kind of echoing these kids that are probably now in middle school that um, (laughs) really inspired me with these different kinds of art and the thing about paint pouring that i really like is that Working with the paint is like working with another entity because if you pour four colors next to each other or pour color and then pour color on top of it, like Mm -hmm. it has its own personality. It does its own thing and you can tip the canvas and use gravity and that it's not, I can have some idea, but the paint has its own ideas. So it almost feels like collaborative art
0: Mm. working with the paint and the materials. I just did something like that the other day. Did you? Yeah, like pour paints on top of each other and just like let them dance together as I, you know, put them upright and like let gravity yeah. have its way.
1: Spring water and ah. other chemicals on it too adds a whole other oh, thing, which is really fun. Yeah, each thing you add into it adds its own thing. And then you can add heat or wind. I use a blow dryer a lot and blow stuff around. Yeah. It's really oh, cool. Yeah, there's a whole, you're working with the elements to collaborate. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I'll have to see what you <laughs> did after you'll have to post it with your.
0: No, <laughs> no, it does not look good, but it was fun. Um, so yeah. I mean, I've just been getting more into that, like taking scratch paper and like painting. I got like a full box of paint like two years ago from a friend who didn't need it anymore. And I've just been like going off of that and half of it's dry
1: and gone now.
0: But, um, well, so even
1: dry paint is interesting. Mm. So you can stick chunks of paint into the paint. Oh, interesting! like to get through I mean it's fine I kind of try to work with whatever's there just to see yeah like the paint will get a skin on it and I'll like pull the skin off and slap it in there and it adds like interesting crinkly elements to it and um, slowly I've been working you know I I did some abstract I haven't done any abstract stuff in a while but then I started to use the paint pouring more for directive art and you know I had people asked me would you paint this painting for me sure I started to do what I had done historically to paint pictures for somebody for like their birthday or an anniversary or wedding gift or whatever and and so so I started to actually make more of the, the art that's probably because uh, I'm more of a semi realist than a than an abstract person and um, and so so I started to gather up some paintings and then, you know, of course, in San Francisco, we have, we have um, the open studios every fall, which is fabulous. And I had a friend, do you know about open studios? No. Oh my God. Yeah. He doesn't know about open studios. So San Francisco in September, October, November has open studios every year. And each week or couple of weeks different sections of the city are opened for open studios and you can either have an, uh, so an open studio of your own like you could have an open studio here um, or you can be part of a collective open studio and there are people that gather together and so sometimes there are people's homes and businesses or in actual art studios that people will open there's a whole um, so the So the open studios, who's it done? Artspan is who runs it. Oh, Artspan, okay. Artspan runs it, and they'll help you find other people to collaborate with. They have a huge catalog that comes out. They do a lot of promotion for it. And there's people that do open studios every weekend as patrons, um, and will go to every open studio all over the city or, you know, out here in the Outer Sunset in the Richmond. so we get one or two weekends out here oh, wow. and so and it's cheap to get in it's like a hundred bucks I mean it depends what you do and uh, of course if you want to buy an ad and blah 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 it can be more um, yeah so not so it was a little bit after that you know a couple years had gone by and uh, I was actually working with wire sculpture at that point um, cool Through this Buddhist meditation called the jewel tree which is a really inspiring meditation I was teaching art to kids in first and second grade so I was always looking for art projects for the kids that started a whole other thing for me because as I would look for projects for them I was really immersed in looking at what people were doing and so I started to do some of the stuff myself so anyway I started to do these um, these jewel trees and and one of my friends said oh i'm doing open studios and like yourself i was like what is that (laughs) and (laughs) so she told me she said i said oh could i do it with you and she said well i'm a painter so i don't really want any paintings do you have anything three-dimensional and i was like yeah i have these sculptures so and so i whipped up a couple more and um and i brought them over to her house and made little cards and set them up and i sold four of them wow i know very inspiring so i was like oh Dude, that was good. So (laughs) that was fun. So, so it, it's, and then I did open studios again the next year and then, and had another big, I mean, the next year I sold like 15 pieces of art and, um, and so that inspired me to start to do shows. And then I started to, to use that. I'm a deadline person. I like to have a, and I I like to have a goal Mm -hmm. and if I have a deadline, it will make me do will make me do it because I don't just do art because I need to do art um because otherwise it fills up my garage so I gotta have a reason to do it and so as I started to sell um so as I started to sell art I started to do more shows I started to create more stuff and then over time you know I have a pretty I, I mean for me I have a pretty big inventory I mean I have about I think I have about thirty paintings out now showing in different places. Yeah, and, and I just had someone last week that wants me to show in a, in a framing store that they have over in Oakland. Ah. And I had two two different people ask me to. It, I had kind of an art day last week. Two different people asked me to commission pieces for them. Cool. Yeah. So, nice. um, so my art's pretty exciting. I'm still not. I mean my goal of where I want to get to is I want to find a way to paint pour realistic portraits of people, yeah, to blend the paint pouring and the looseness of that with a realistic portrait of a person, that I have not, I haven't got there yet, but that is my life goal. Wow. Yeah, because I love to paint people. I've been experimenting I just did you know we're part of an art salon that's every two months the San Francisco art salon and so which was another dream of mine to start that we've had three of them they've been super successful and and we're gonna have another one in April out in the Richmond district and um, and so we need to get an Eventbrite page or something so people can look it up. Yeah, It will be seen. You can search San Francisco Artsalon and you'll find it. And, what? Um, yeah, it is oh, on Eventbrite. Even yeah, it's on yeah. Eventbrite. That, wow. That's how, yeah. <laughs> uh, I need to make up a new one for the April. Whatever the second Sunday in April is, that's the date it will be. Do you be think
0: good. that will move to a different spot eventually?
1: I don't know. I Because mean, I thought
0: that was like a closed group. I didn't even know that was Oh, no, open. it's on Eventbrite.
1: We've actually what? had some random people come. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, how cool. I okay. think, yeah. So, um, you know, through that salon, too, I mean I'm, I'm a group- centered person, so through the salon, and me encouraging other people to kind of push their growing edge. I, so I just did some photography. Um, I'm working and I'm gonna do more photography, working around with the human body. I really like working with nudes. I, I, and so. Um, I'm interested in erotic art. I'm a little bit interested in the kink community and uh-huh. and, and how that can work into art. Um, so, as I explore myself, looking looking for ways to express that, um, and it gets back to that similar. So I was like, you know, I'm Mrs. McKenna. I'm the art teacher at St. Gabriel School for nine years. This is my first year I didn't teach. Wow. And um, and so. You know, it's been a question mark of how do I explore my own very adult art because a lot of the stuff I'm interested in is sexuality and violence and and a lot of the life experience that I don't want my fourth graders to know about. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably best. (laughs) Um, And how to explore those things without – how do I do that and not like horrify children who might be following me on Instagram or um, and so actually one of the things I've done is I have a pseudonym ah. yeah I have a pseudonym I didn't know yeah wait did I I don't know I don't know if you know <laughs> um, yeah so I have a pseudonym uh, which I can say on here because I don't know if there's any fourth graders listening no. so Ravona white magic is my pseudonym how do you spell that R-A-V-O-N-A Ravona Ravona and uh, white magic white magic with a k yeah and um i uh the name ravona actually came from russia because ravona means raven in russia oh. and i spent some time in russia and they love to name people pet names and so i was ravona <laughs> yeah yeah i was also zaychik which means rabbit um, <laughs> which is a whole different story yeah. <laughs> but um yeah so um so that's I think that's my solution to that um I have a Fet Life page I haven't paid, posted a lot on that um because I've just really started to look at erotic art and the more adult themes of art mm-hmm. um which fascinate and excite me um but I'm still against that like social mask a little bit um mm-hmm. and you know, because I also had an art nonprofit for six years called Art in Every Classroom. And uh, that was actually how we supported the art program at the kids' school. And um, because the Catholic school didn't have any money. So we used it, we could, so we received grants and then we gave away grants. We gave away um, over $100,000 in six years. Wow. Yeah, to classrooms to, to benefit about probably 50,000 children. Holy crap. Yeah, in the Bay Area and also in South Sudan, Africa and Haiti. Yeah.
0: How do you do all of this? What the
1: heck? (laughs) That's a secret. Yeah, see, there's a lot. Those are all my... So using (laughs) all of my gifts and talents for the benefit of the most people.
0: Literally, every time I talk to you, it's like something new that's just like crazily done. You didn't know
1: I was the the director of a foundation. Yeah, we folded it up. (laughs) Um, My goal had been to get a standing art program at the school that my daughter is at now. Mm-hmm. She's in seventh grade there now. And um, we started when she was in kindergarten. And uh, last year they actually brought an on-staff art teacher on. Wow. And, so, and and this year they created an art room. I'm, I'm, so, you know, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in magic. And I believe that when we set our intentions and have... Perseverance, or how I like to say, perseverance, <laughs> um, and have perseverance and singleness of purpose, and are willing to put our own. Again, we get back to the chakras. Have, have my intention, which is from my head, and my, um, and my intention, which is from my heart, uh-huh. and my intention, which is from my belly, which is more my actions. Then we can make shit happen. And so, um, it's not all me, but uh, certainly not, but. Um, yeah, so there's a standing art program Then now, and I could quit. So, <laughs> so I stopped teaching art and, um, for this year. And it's so cute. You know, the kids. This is, this is so nice. Um, every time I go to school, the kids say, Ms. McKenna, Ms. McKenna, will you teach art next year? We don't like the new art teacher. She's not as nice as you are. <laughs> she makes us do these things you let us do whatever we wanted we really so they're begging me to do our next I might do it when they're in eighth grade that'll be the last (laughs) I might do it again it's a lot of work but anyway (laughs) but it's also very it is very inspiring for me too too I mean that was the whole there's a there's like a spiritual law that I, I like to say all good service serves the server so whenever we do service, if I feel depleted or exhausted or resentful after I do service, it's bad service. I shouldn't be doing it. Whether it's me or whether it's who I'm serving, it's bad service. If I do service, I should feel fulfilled and joyful. It should add to my life um, it, and in whatever way it does, whether it adds to my life monetarily or in with inspiration or relationship or or my health or how I feel um, all good service should serve the server and so you know teaching art has absolutely been you know exponentially informative and helpful in in my own in blossoming as an artist so I don't copy anybody anymore Mm. I haven't copied a painting in over ten years Mm. and I never will again I'll never copy anybody's art because I finally found my own voice um, but thank you for doing her makeup yeah and it's still weirdo. it's still in formation it's not where I want it to be but um, okay. Okay. but it is fun it's and that's a lot it's fun I love playing with color and I like people I, you know I mean I'm in a position luckily where I have a couple places that just show my art for free and people buy it hmm. which is even better <laughs> 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 yeah, I sold two paintings this month. Nice. So it is nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean no, you th- know I'm not saying like, like four thousand dollars or anything, you know, a couple hundred bucks, but you know.
0: Yeah, I was uh walking around the other day and I stumbled upon them at the uh center. At the
1: graduate center, yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I've raised my prices over time instead of like Does that scare oh, you? What
0: Raising your prices?
1: Not anymore. I mean, that's part of growing into your whole self. No, because at first I would be like, would you buy this 25 cents, you know, kind of thing, right? Like, oh, I can't believe anybody would buy it. And then, and then as I started to really think about, you know, my time and um, valuing myself, valuing my time, and how, you know, for me, how, I, how to price the painting, um, I, I kind of have an hourly rate. Because I worked as an hourly (laughs) rate person for so long. I kind of have an hourly rate, and I kind of base the price of the painting a little bit on my hourly rate. Size, what the canvas costs. Um, Yeah. And, uh... Well, I'm looking forward now. We have a friend, Shane, who's a very talented artist, and she's been... so she's been doing a lot of drawings. She sends me doodles every day. And I asked her if I could use some of her doodles as a basis for paintings. She's been drawing angels. Oh, cool. And so I asked her, I, we, I might even make that the theme of the, I might make it allies, a, angels and demons that the theme of um, the art show for April. But um, so, cause design is not, I'm not confident as a designer. I'm like meh I give myself a B as a designer um, <laughs> no I look that's one of the that's why I like to look at other people's art so anyway I asked Shane if I could use some of her angel paintings as a basis for paintings and now I'm what I need to do in the next month is create the art I need to create the cover art for my book mm-hmm yeah which is kind of exciting We're in the middle of something. yeah it was funny because I asked Shane would you help me because she's a designer I said would you help me design the cover for my book and I gave her the title, and um, so it's Allies and Demons, and the subtitle is um, is spiritual power for healing and transformation, accessing spirit for healing and transformation, and um, and so and after I asked her that, I, I kind of sketched out a rough design for the cover, and then she sent me hers, and they are the same. Yeah. We that's both so sketched crazy. out the same cover for the book, so that's, so that's the so that's the cover for the book. <laughs> 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 yeah. So what are
0: you gonna do with the sketches? Like, are you gonna?
1: I'll paint them. Okay. I'm gonna paint pour them. Yeah, I am um I feel like you know I have this blue. There's a sky blue out here. I can see it actually today. The yeah. sky blue in the center of a midday northern california sky that's become my favorite color it's like that deep sky blue it's 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 so crazy amazing color and um (laughs) and so i want to do. i'm thinking like blues greens purples um on the demon side and then on the allies side um like yellow red orange Mm. kind of blending of those so it'll be yeah so blue and orange complementary Mm. colors more or less yeah yeah. A little green and purple in there. Yeah. yeah. I like, I like complimentary things. Mm-hmm. So makes everything. Can you hear that noise? Pop. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I just saw a big spike on the thing. There it is. Spiky. Spiky. Yeah. Mm.
1: So I can't reveal all my secrets. There's more. We'll have to wait for the next <laughs> anything else I don't know
0: let's see what's I just kind of like <clears throat>
1: what's our timing
0: it is 2 06 okay we have about like 10 more minutes great
1: more minutes. yeah yeah it's totally fine okay well I'd like to tell you a story since we brought up women, since that. we brought up women's match you know um mm. I went to a lecture at city arts and lectures uh, last week I guess it was um and uh, this woman Rebecca traced her. she's a She's a um what is she? She's a political reporter. She followed Hillary Clinton through the election and she just wrote a book called Good and Mad. Really intelligent woman. Good and mad. Good and mad, yeah. She's cool. talking about channeling women's anger mm. um in service of social justice. More or less. That's the basic idea. And you know, I sat there. And, again, super intelligent woman. It was a really thoughtful discussion, and she knows everyone who's everything. And she's actually had her own personal interaction with the Me Too Harvey Weinstein thing where he attacked her. And, like, she kind of is in it. She knows everyone. Yeah, really interesting person. And so, you know, again, she followed Hillary through the election. Anyway, and... um. So it was interesting listening, you know, and a lot of people were like, yeah, yeah, you know, I have to say, I was uninspired. Um, I was uninspired because I don't feel like anger is the path to transformation. Um, So that's what she's... Kind of. I mean, they're looking at channeling the anger. I mean, this is where Women's March went too was taking the anger that every... You know, th- what happened at the end was it became about the anger and the outrage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then how do we channel that in this way of resi- resistance, right? Which, absolutely, we need people resisting. Oh, is that right? Absolutely. That is, that is a very important thing to do. It's just not what I'm interested in. And, you know, I love to tell this story because because it's a beautiful story, and it's inspiring to me, even though I lived it. So, you know, I watched... I watched the election unfold, and I'm not a very political person. In fact, I'm such a sensitive person. I I have a lot of trouble. Um, I have to be very careful how much news I actually expose myself to because I, I take it into my body. It's too upsetting. And a lot of it is not. Um, not even the news itself, but the intention of those who are who are producing the news is it's based on trying to get ratings and greed and manipulation mm-hmm. and outrage actually gets people to do more hits and all that. And I'm very, I can feel all of that. I hate being manipulated, but I can be manipulated. You know, I hate where, where people are like creating emotions in me for their own benefit. It, it all just feels really unhealthy. Yeah. So I like to know what's going on in the world, but very little happens that's important that I don't find out about at some point so anyway but I was very interested in the election um, and so I was watching it unfold and you know I think a lot of people were well you know there was kind of I think on one side there was just a belief of like oh well it's obvious who's gonna win and I have to say, you know, being brought up by gun-toting party Republican parents, that I wasn't so sure about that. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so when I watched what went down on election night, like I, I wasn't shocked, but I was certainly disturbed. And you know listening to the to the echoes of what's now becoming this ridiculous bid for a wall and and the and the institutional racism that's just like out on the table now I mean it's 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 horrifying to me and so so I woke up in the morning after the election and um you know I have a long time spiritual practice it changes from week to week of what it is but I usually do some kind of prayer and meditation and and so I just said show me what to do What can I do? How can I use my gifts and talents for the highest good of everyone involved? And um, I had no idea what that meant. Um, I mean, I didn't do anything politically except vote during that whole thing. And um, I maybe sent Hillary a hundred bucks or whatever, you know, so, um, so I, and I just did that every day. So the election was on Tuesday. I started that Wednesday night, Wednesday morning and um, And Saturday morning, I woke up and I was still looking at Facebook, which was where I was getting a lot of my news at that point, the Uh echo chamber of Facebook. um, (laughs) Chamber of (laughs) Facebook. The echo chamber. And so, um, and I saw this thing and they called it the Million Woman March. Million Woman March in Washington, D.C. And I had this feeling go through my body, which I now know that five million other people had at the same time. And I said, I'm going. Uh huh. And I, you know, I looked at my calendar, do I have anything on January 21st? I don't, and I booked a plane flight to go to Washington, D.C., and I posted it on Facebook, and within an hour, I had 50 hits of people, what is it? I want to go, what do I do? And so, so I spent the rest of the day kind of um, responding to people, and, and the responses got more, it was going out more, and I could see there was a viral thing happening. I, I tried to call the then completely fledgling Women's March organization, there was no answer. There was no emails coming back. They, they were four people who didn't even sit together. <laughs> and um, and so that night I started a Facebook group um, and because I thought so many people want to go. I'll give everybody a, a central place where they can talk about ride sharing and places to stay and blah, blah, blah. And in the morning I woke up and there were 1,000 members on it wow yeah and I had never had like I was like oh this must be like a viral experience <laughs> and so and throughout the day like it just got more and more of people interested and the buzz got bigger and um, and at 3 in the afternoon I got a phone call from someone who said I'm from Women's March I noticed you started a Facebook page and used our image like who are you and what do you want mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I told him I just want to be helpful you know I'm trying to facilitate the people in the Bay Area who might want to go it's a long way and blah blah blah, blah. and um so we talked for a couple minutes and she realized that I was legit not in nutcase. case well at least, at least she doesn't think I'm in nutcase. case and um and at the end of the conversation she said would you be willing to lead Women's March San Francisco and I said I guess that's the answer to my prayer what can I do mm. and so I said yes mm-hmm. and um, and that started really that was a catalyst I mean we spent the next seven weeks putting together an event that should have taken a year Mm -hmm. to put together and we had this fabulous team it was this amazing experience Um, you know at the end um, the Facebook page had 80,000 members and um, and you know I got to go and sit in Civic Center and watch the helicopters overhead and I remember one of the police, you know, who became my buddy because we had to have a lot of meetings with the city and everything. And he said, you know, Renee, once the crowd gets to this place where it is right now, that means we've capped 100000 That's what we gaged. And I said, welcome to my woman's march party. <laughs> and what it did was it really affirmed something, um, you know, I'm from Boston and uh, John F. Kennedy is one of my personal heroes and um, and he said um, every person really can make a difference and every person should try. Mm. And um, and I think that that is what we're supposed to do with whoever we are, whatever our gifts and talents are, we're supposed to find them and we're supposed to bring them out um, for the service of all of us because we really are all connected. And. Um, and that is the path to joy and fulfillment. It's the only one that I know. Um, so I'm still trying to trudge it. And, um, and whether Woman's match was the preview of things to come for me, or whether that was a pinnacle moment remains to be seen. But, um, but I'm stepping out, baby.
0: Mm-hmm. What yeah. would you like to happen?
1: What would I like to happen? You know there's a wave there's a lot of talk about shifting the consciousness Um, yeah I think our culture is really unhealthy I think that people are desperate and suffering and loneliness and and um, materialism and consumerism and and fear of the future and disconnected from from the essence of life and from the beauty and the connection that's possible Mm -hmm. and within themselves and and in the greater community and in the world. And so I feel like um, I already am part, but I think I'd like to be a bigger part of this wave that I think is happening over call to deepen our experience, to get more honest and more real and more vulnerable, um, and to surrender to life rather than to try to master it Um, I think that that's our appropriate relationship is to be more in surrender um, to what's happening Mm -hmm. rather than fighting and resisting and so I mean that on the ultimate reality not like the Donald Trump reality or whatever you know the the (laughs) Um, so you know, what would I like to happen? So what would I like to happen? I ultimately, if I think big, I would like to teach in Europe. I would like to write. I mean, out of out of uh, every time I sit down to write, I find another book I feel like I need to write. So there's like 20 books mm. that I want to write. Um, I hope... I have a feeling one of them will probably be a book that's very helpful. I would love it if one of my books could be as helpful to other people as some of the books that I have read have been helpful to me. So I hope that what can come through me can really help and change people's lives. Um, You know, the processes that that have come through this work are incredibly transformative and I would like to bring those out to as many people as are open to receiving them um so I would I mean my goal has been I love to travel and I would love to have you know a place in the in the East Coast I would love to have a place in Europe um I'm going to Germany um in April to kind of spy it out I've heard the Germans might be very interested in this work so hopefully I'll have a book in hand and be able to do a little a little work in Germany and see if that's a foothold in Europe for me um I have my own podcast, Spiritual Psychology, um, which you can find on almost every major carrier. And uh, I actually do, I'm going to put in a little plug. <clears throat> so I do I do free therapy online for people uh, to really demonstrate this work of Spiritual Psychology and the transformation that it offers. And so... You know, if anybody who's listening here is interested, um, I do sessions over the phone. I record them. They can be anonymous. We don't need to use your name. Uh, and then I put them up on my podcast. You know, and usually do a little bit of talking about what the specific, what the specific healing modality is, whether it's inner child work or power retrieval or soul part exchange, um, healing from trauma, healing from depression, anxiety. So, that's my plug. I would love it. Um, I would love to have, like, some kind of a syndicated radio show. That would be, like, I would love that because, yeah, I love to talk, as you can tell. (laughs) And I'd like to be able to, another goal would be if I could have my artwork in places where I was selling, like, two pieces a month. If I could sell, like, two pieces of art a month and just have a rolling flow with with my artwork going out, so that I had a reason to paint, uh-huh. a couple paintings a month. Hmm. That would be. So that's my. That's my hopes. Um, for the next 30 years, I do expect the next 25 years to be the most productive of my life. Wow, I do. I was talking today, as a matter of fact, one of my girls is really into astrology, which is not a thing I'm into, but I'm in Aries, and apparently Chiron just moved into Aries. Chiron is the wounded healer, and Chiron has moved into Aries and will be there for the next seven years. So I will be 62 in seven years, and I expect 62 to 80 to be my best years. I'm going to be on fire. That's badass. It is. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm getting my tattoo. I'm looking I'm going tomorrow to get my, my I am tattooless at fifty five and I've decided I'm gonna get a full sleeve tattoo wow. with, with all of my <laughs> sacred symbols on it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, as I step out into the world. So not only are they with me but they create the space everywhere I go. Mm yeah I want to see that you will see it dude I'm gonna she's gonna draw it out for me tomorrow we're gonna spend two hours and then I'm gonna spend the next probably year and a half getting it done okay
0: really quick what's your thought on tattoos because my mother who's around the same age as you like tattoos are forbidden and like the worst thing that somebody can do to themselves (laughs) or their
1: bodies like what is No, the worst thing you can do for yourself in your body is you can be in a dead relationship that you hate eating bad food and watching bad TV, that's the worst thing you can do. <laughs> so. <laughs> that's so true. Um, I think tattoos, are, you know, uh, I the way I'm getting this tattoo is very... I've realized, I didn't realize until I started to talk to the artist, that this is very much of, a, of an ancient traditional way to get tattoos, mm. that I am using them as empowered... Um, symbols on my body for, for protection and for power so which is I think I think you know having moved running with bikers a lot of my life that's a lot of what tattoos are for people is, mm. is symbolic protection um, for power and, and shielding um, but it's also it's, it's a tremendous you know to use your body as expressive art I think it's beautiful. Hmm. Now, there's a lot of ugly-ass tattoos out there. And I'm like, really? You want to get two lemons on your boobs? Like, that's bad, girl. You know, I mean, I've seen some bad tattoos, okay? But, but you know, there's bad art, in my opinion, too, right? That's just my opinion. If you like your lemons, you go right ahead um, with your bad self. So... <laughs> what do you think about tattoos
0: oh I want them I want tattoos I want plugs everything but you know I grew up
1: with, oh you should come with me tomorrow to my girl while I do the thing and meet her do you want to come what time 10 to 12 it's over in Berkeley Ooh. I have school you get school alright well you know what I'll keep it's a long process yeah. we're we'll just drawing tomorrow yeah. you can come with me when I get it she's a rad <laughs> artist her name's Hannah Wolf. She's over in. she's okay. over in Berkeley and I'm really excited to work with her nice yeah yeah awesome. yeah we gotta, you know I mean yeah. I'm not getting like some anchor or some shit you know I'm getting these are good she's good yeah she's a good artist so I'm excited I'm putting together all the different pieces she's gonna build them together as an element on my arm um, mm-hmm. it's probably gonna have it's got some prayers in there it's wow. got all kinds of sacred symbols and then what I want to do is figure out cuz it's like a puzzle cuz it's expensive yeah. to get you know, it takes a long time so you know, it's probably going to be, I don't know how many sittings, I'm guessing like four or five mm. sittings over a long period of time to get it. Cause it's like 600 a whack at least to st- It's like, yeah, it's like two hours at 600 bucks. So, so I'm going to get them done like a puzzle. So I want to have the whole puzzle and see it and then decide which pieces to put in. So it doesn't look like crap as it's getting done.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I'm very excited. Oh. You know, I mean, that was, Right after I left my husband, um, I I was at an art show. In fact, I don't. did we even know each other when the Raw Art Show happened? I don't think we did. You were there taking pictures at the Raw Art Show down on... 10-15? Yeah, ten fifteen. Oh, no. And whoa. you saw my art, but you didn't know who I was?
0: I saw your art, but my friend that I went with was like, oh, my God, her art is amazing. I want her to paint me. Um,
1: who are they? I'll paint them.
0: Oh, my friend Crystal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She Look. keeps asking. She's Dude, like, hook me part? up. What am I just gonna be like? Hey, can I would love to. T- I don't. She
1: doesn't have to. I don't have, I mean, I do work on commission, like the uh-huh. ones with the head, like that. Like yeah. I do that on commission, but I actually would love to do another one. I would love to so paint awesome. people. So give me her. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I was there, and um, oh, I was having a hard time because you know, dissolving a marriage. It's all very platonic, but it's really painful. Anyway, um, and uh and so I painted myself I painted a big snake on my body I made my lips green I teased my hair all out like an 80s bad heavy metal rock person and um and I was sitting there talking to this handsome man oh my goodness and uh, <laughs> also not a young man a handsome older man and and there was an uh, there was a um there was a runway and people were showing fashion Mm-hmm. And we were looking at fashion, and a lot of the girls they had tattoos. And wh- I've always loved sleeve tattoos. And uh, and I said, oh, I would love to get a sleeve tattoo. And he said, why don't you get a sleeve tattoo? I said, I'm too old. And he looked at me and he was like, what? And I was like, oh right, like, what? What difference does that make? Hmm. Like, like your mom, like there's some idea, like there's some image, some idea of what was supposed to do based on some ex- somebody else's idea. Like, why can't I get a tattoo at 55? So that's what I'm going to do. Plus, my arms look awesome because I work out all the time. (laughs) 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 I'm rocking 55, I just got to say it. But, um, yeah. So I think tattoos are great. I think tattoos. Just don't, you know, the only thing is the face tattoo thing. I told my daughter, don't get a tattoo on your face. (laughs) Unless you're Maori.
0: What about fingers? Fingers are fine. Because I do, like, I would want them on the insides of my fingers.
1: People do cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. These all, you know, the only thing, the face thing is a little... It depends what you're doing, though. Yeah. It depends what you're doing. Uh, For me, I'm not getting a face tattoo. I'm just going to say that. I'm not getting a face tattoo. I'm probably not going to get a neck tattoo. But... um, But you know, I could come back in three years and change my mind.
0: What would you get if you had to get a face tattoo?
1: (laughs) Oh, I'd have to think about that for a long time. I can't. What wouldn't you get? I wouldn't. The first thing I see is like those prison tattoos that all bleed out that have like somebody's name on them. I wouldn't get like someone's name written on my forehead. Or a star under my eye. No, or a teardrop. Somebody had teardrops tattooed on their face. Yeah, this bad face tattoos. <sighs> no, I don't want a face tattoo. <laughs> no. that's my Well, you know what those mean, right? What? Teardrops? No.
0: I th- on each side of the face, it's different. But like, this is like you murdered somebody, like, and then each teardrop for each murder. Nice. I think.
1: Yeah, that's what I want murdering teardrop tattoos yikes yeah
0: Bleh. no yeah, that would contradict what you're trying to do it is
1: well those people can come and do therapy with me <laughs> at <laughs> reneemckenna.com <laughs> if you want to be on my podcast you can shoot me text 415-672-4992 or you can shoot me an email info at reneemckenna.com it's r-e-n-e-e m-c-k-e-n-n-a
0: I'll put that in the uh, description as well awesome <laughs> yeah thank you I appreciate you. I love you. Love you too.
1: So good to talk today. Thank you. Awesome.
0: Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Yay.
1: And so you have an inspiration, you have a creative idea. Now, a lot of things can just die right there. It can die right there and never move past that point. spiritual psychology with Renee McKenna I'm a therapist and healer here in San Francisco and if you want real change on a soul level you've come to the right place
2: This call is now being recorded.
3: Welcome to Spiritual Psychology. And what did you want to work on today? We'll talking about kind of a back and forth dialogue that's going on that's not very helpful.
2: Yes, my inner critic.
3: And so what's the inner critic? Tell me about the inner critic
2: um so I have a back and forth of thoughts like a looping back and forth of thoughts of the things I want in my life and how great I want them to be but then there' are all is also these thoughts of oh well it's not going to be anything and you're not going to be anything mm. and and you're not going to
3: succeed in this whatever way okay so that's that's really really common to have that back and forth like that it's also really painful Mm -hmm. so all right so let's let's do some work on that so um, why don't you take a minute and just kind of ground yourself in your body See if you can notice where there's any tension in your body, any physical tension in your body. Maybe take a nice deep in-breath and kind of draw it into places where there might be physical tension in your body and just exhale that out. Inhaling into any physical tension. and Exhaling, releasing that physical tension. And you might want to notice if there's any places where you have emotional tension in your body, and see if you can do the same. See if you can bring your breath into the places where there's emotional tension, and release that emotional tension on your exhale. Breathing into any emotional tension, releasing it, and then you can notice any places where there might be mental tension in your body. Just breathing into any mental tension and releasing that on your out breath. And see, just take a minute and open your inner senses your inner senses of sight and sound, taste, touch, smell, instinct, intuition. Just open those all quite widely. And I wonder if you can notice where the inner critic lives in your body or in your head. Where um, the inner critic? Is it's in my forehead, or like is it,
2: mm-hmm. on my forehead. It's and like tightening of muscles on my forehead.
3: Mhm. Good. And so. If it had a shape or a color, what shape or color would it be?
2: Um, I'm gonna go with the shape that I feel. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. So it's just the shape of my uh, of my forehead, so like an oval.
3: And if it had a color, what color would it be? Mm. Orange. And does it have a density? Is it like a solid, a liquid, a gas?
2: It's solid.
3: Does it have a temperature? Um. A little hot mm-hmm. so I wonder if you could sense or feel or imagine that you could move this kind of hot solid orange oval out of your forehead and that it could personify itself in front of you with limbs and a head and a face we so can move that energy out of your forehead that in a critic, that oval orange solid, and it would personify itself in front of you with limbs and a head and a face. What size is it?
2: About the size of me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: A little bit the, bigger.
3: Okay. And what's the covering of its body?
2: What's the covering?
3: What you- mm-hmm. What's it? Does it have clothes on? Does it have skin? Does it have scales? Like, what's the covering of its body?
2: It has clothes on. What color? Um, Dark blue,
3: black. And what's its, does it have a gender? It's male. What's its personality like?
2: He's rigid, um, heavy, a dark sense of humor. Um, and yeah, he's just, uh, not a nice guy.
3: And what's his purpose?
2: What's his purpose? mm
3: mm-hmm.
2: It just wants to play with, like, play with me, um, and not in a fun way. Like, it wants to just play with me. Like, my emotions mm-hmm. bring me up and down.
3: And what does it get out of it? Joy. What does he feed on?
2: He feeds on me giving in to him. He gets happy when I get upset.
3: How does he feel about you?
2: He doesn't like me.
3: What doesn't he like?
2: Hmm. Hmm. One moment. He just doesn't like anything good about me.
3: He doesn't like what's good about you?
2: Yeah. Positive or like, I don't know. Does that make sense?
3: Mm Mm-hmm. What doesn't he like about good or positive things?
2: It makes him feel powerless.
3: What does he want? Mm.
2: He just wants me to give him the attention
3: to give them to him. So he wants you to give him attention. What does he really need? What's his deepest, most authentic need? Love. And how will he feel if he gets lost?
2: Um, He won't know how to handle it (laughs) at first. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I guess he'll feel overwhelmed. He'll feel out of place. Although that is what he needs, but I, I get this feeling that he'll feel out of place or unworthy. And so he'll shoo it away.
3: But if he was able to receive it, how would he feel? If he was able to get the love that he really needed.
2: He would feel alive. Mm-hmm he would feel better, more full, complete.
3: Excellent. So I wonder if you can sense or feel or imagine that your body dissolves into a nectar or an elixir, it is exactly the quality of love and aliveness and completeness that he actually really needs. So your body dissolves into a nectar or an elixir of love. And that nectar moves toward him. And he's able to take it up, to receive it, to drink it, or eat it, or absorb it through his skin, or it pours over him. And what's the color, texture, or quality of the nexus? It's
2: a liquid like water, but it's silver and shiny. Mm.
3: And how does he take it up or receive it?
2: Um, It's in a bowl, in a big bowl. And he grabs it with his, uh, cups it with his two hands. And he drinks it and rubs it on his arms and body.
3: And you need to know that there's an infinite supply of this silver water with the quality of love. That's exactly what he really needs. He can drink and absorb and receive this to his complete satisfaction, an endless supply of love, completeness, fullness, Feeling of being alive. It's okay for him to receive this. It must be me. Endless supply. Just love, and completeness. What happens if he takes it up?
2: What happens when he takes it
3: up? Mm-hmm. What's happening to him? as he receives this love.
2: Well, he has something else to put his attention on. Mm -hmm. And he seems captivated with it.
3: Mm. So we're just going to let him continue to feed and drink, rub this on his body as much as he needs. Really to his complete satisfaction. An infinite supply. Exactly what he really needs: the love, completeness, Drink. all it on himself. Over water of love. And what's happening?
2: He shrinks.
3: Hmm. He can continue to receive this love. much as we need. he needs, receiving and receiving, and he feels complete better and full and
2: alive,
3: infinite supply, love, wholeness. What's happening now?
2: He's tiny and joyful,
3: <laughs> and has he had his fill? He can continue to receive all the love he needs. If he needs more.
2: I think he's. Oh go ahead. That's, I think he's just enjoying it, being really, really small and tiny, and bathing in it, and taking it in. He's enjoying it.
3: Well, that's great. So let him continue to bathe in it and enjoy it, asking that love that he really needs. and fullness. And does he shrink more or does he stay the same?
2: No, I think he's gone though. I really do. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. So we want to ask for an ally to appear, just what comes doesn't have to make any sense. What is the ally that will take his place?
2: Can it be a previous ally? Sure. Like a tree?
3: hmm
2: okay I'll choose the tree
3: and so tell me about tree what are the qualities of the tree
2: tree has a wisdom mm-hmm. a great big tree has wisdom It has many years of life it uh It knows the ends and outs of the world and is very in tune. Um, It is sturdy, it is strong, it is trusting um, and it is confident.
3: And how does Tree feel about you? tree loves me. Hmm. And how will tree help you?
2: I feel like a tree is a guiding force. Mm-hmm. Um, within my life in this this practice, um, mm-hmm. it is something that I can always rely on. Right? Mm-hmm. It's so wise.
3: Mm. And how will tree protect you?
2: That is a hard question, but um, I feel like tree is something that I can rely on. Um, Mm -hmm. And when things get tough or scary, I can always just honestly revert back to the tree.
3: Mm Mm-hmm
2: and it's always gonna be there.
3: Hmm. And is there a vow or promise the tree makes to you?
2: I'm giving the tree will always have me and hold me hmm. and have my back.
3: And how can you connect with trees?
2: Mm. I don't know.
3: See if you can ask the tree, how can I connect
2: with you? I feel like the tree wants me to connect to it through myself, like Mm -hmm. going deep down. Mm. Connecting to myself and within that, I connect with the tree.
0: Mm.
3: Does that make sense to you?
2: Yeah, it does.
3: How does Tree feel about your hopes and dreams?
2: Hmm. I personally just got nervous when you said that question. Um. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Let's see. Let me ask. The tree fullheartedly or wholeheartedly uh, supports my hopes and dreams.
3: And how is it to get the wholehearted support for, hopes for your hopes and dreams? It makes me happy. And how is it to mm-hmm. get happy, happy. The support <laughs> for your hopes and dreams? It makes me happy. How is it so happy, I wonder happy. if you can or feel or imagine that the energy of tree is being offered to you. And the tree pours its energy into your body. may enter through the top of your head, or your throat, or your eyes, or your heart. All around you. How does tree pour its energy into you?
2: it's up the root of my spine and through my arms
1: Mm.
2: so I feel that energy
3: Mm -hmm. so really opening to receive the wisdom and the strength and the trust confidence and the strength Sturdiness and the, trust and the tree confidence. into your body, into your mind, into your emotions, to your spirit and your energy system. Really receiving on all levels all oh, so the wisdom and strength of tree. And knowing that all areas of your life will be informed and transformed by this energy. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, creatively, professionally, relationally, sexually, socially. And that this transmission will continue to inform and transform you in the days and weeks and months and even years to come whether you're aware of or not and that you integrate this energy into every cell of your body all the way down to the soles of your feet, tips of your fingers and all the way up to the crown of your head. Take all the time you need, let me know when that feels complete. Okay. So, ask Tree if there's anything else that wants to be done or communicated for right now to be complete with this.
2: It just says be yourself.
3: Mm. And how is it to hear that?
2: It is good, but also nerve wracking.
3: <laughs> What's nerve wracking about it?
2: Hmm. Because I've never really been given permission to be my wholeheartedly true self.
3: Mm. And how is it to get that permission to wholeheartedly be your true self? Satisfying, mm. for sure. Yeah. What's satisfying about it?
2: I spend all day worrying, worrying, mm-hmm. worrying, worrying about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, just, just that permission to be myself. Um, Stop that worrying.
3: You know, to me, it feels even beyond permission. It feels like a directive. Directive. Do you know what a directive is? Yes. And how do you feel that way? It's just a sense I have that it's it's beyond commission that you're actually being encouraged. That that's really what your job is it's to be you Mm.
2: because every day i'm always looking at other people and then always swayed by what they're doing or what they feel Mm -hmm. and i don't really connect with uh with what's going on inside or I, I push down what is going on inside
0: because
2: mm. I get distracted or I get envious or whatever it may be but I definitely get distracted
3: well that's the work I think it yeah. really is our work is to be our most authentic self. Yeah. That we're each a unique creation and expression. We each have a particular note to play in the symphony. And that's our work is to be able to to find that, to tune it and to have the courage and the find the resources to help us to bring that out. Mm
2: -hmm. I agree.
3: And so, tree is a resource to support that. to connect you with that truth and the truth of yourself. Okay. So you might want to take a minute and express gratitude. I know that when something has been transformed or transmuted by the energy of love, it's like the alchemical process of garbage turning into compost, Mm. it can never be reversed. And so we look forward to seeing what happens going forward from this new place. I do too. So thank you so much for sharing. That was a really beautiful process. Great work.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Renee. I appreciate you.
3: I appreciate you too thank you we will talk again we will thank you all right good night
2: good night
1: thanks for listening today i'm so grateful for the people that are willing to share their deep experiences with us on spiritual psychology if you're interested in